Welcome to another episode of Rambling About Rivers. You're joining Emily and Jake from the Rivers Trust to talk about all things rivers from conservation to recreation. Today we're focusing on the latter. We're chatting to Kerry-Ann Payne, two-time 10km open water world champion and an Olympic silver medalist, and Simon Griffiths, founder of Outdoor Swimmer and the author of Swim Wild and Free. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Rambling About Rivers. Thank you so much for joining us, Simon and Kerry Ann. Could you just give us a quick introduction? Kerry Ann, you go first. <laughs> well, I am Kerry Ann Payne. I am a two time world champion for the 10K open water swimming. Um, and now I qualify people to become open water coaches. Amazing. What about you, Simon? Yeah, so I'm Simon Griffiths. I'm the founder and publisher of Outdoor Swimmer magazine, and I'm also the author of Swim Wild and Free, uh, which is a, a a guide for anyone who wants to do more swimming outdoors. Amazing. You're both making me feel thoroughly underqualified to be here, but <laughs> thank you. So I'm sure you can all guess uh, from the tone we've just set that today is going to be all about outdoor swimming. So I'm going to jump straight in, and that wasn't a pun, with our first question. Um, so I know a lot of people, myself included, are completely enamoured with the idea of outdoor swimming, but it can feel pretty daunting to get involved. And on top of that, you've got the fact that it's a sport which does carry inherent risks and it's really important to be properly prepared when you start. So could you give us a list of your top tips or maybe your do's and don'ts when starting outdoor swimming? Um, well, I guess, Simon, this is a great plug for your book. Why don't you kind of go through because that's what it's about, right? Uh, well, yeah, that was uh, my, I, I, I did some preparation. So what one of the things I listed was be informed. Uh, and I think that's, for me, that's really the key thing is, uh, is swimming is, I think you have to use your brain and think first, use all your senses, um, look at what you're swimming and listen, listen to the sound of the water, smell the water, you know, you, you want to have a good feeling about the water that, that you're going to be safe there and learn as much about about the water and about the place you're going to swim so whether that's reading a book like my book that Carrie Ann kindly mentioned or talking to people who are already swimming there or talking to a coach or um looking on one of the, the you know there's there's apps coming out that I think Carrie Ann can talk, tell us about in a bit and some of those have very specific information um about places where you could swim so each place might have its own own things to look out for um, and so finding out in that specific place where you're swimming what you need to look out for is really important yeah I totally agree with everything Simon said there it's about being informed about the body of water you're just about to go into but not just you know having a look on google earth and see what it looks like but that's a great place to start have a look are there pictures have people taken pictures there before? Do people swim there? Do they not swim there? Especially if it's a wild location. And that's really where a lot of the risk, well, there's risk everywhere. You, you rightly, rightly say that, Emily, but um, you know, the wilder swimming locations might be slightly more risky because there's not as much known about them. So just being really un, you know, conscious about searching, researching out, searching, you know, Facebook is, is a good place for loads of local groups. So, you know, search in your local area, or the local area to the venue that you want to go to and check if there are a Facebook group there. Again, people will be really helpful. 
uh, giving you times to go, times not to go as well. Um, everyone in the world of open water swimming is really helpful and generally really lovely. So they're just keen to make sure people have a great experience like they do. And then on top of that, keeping it safe and, uh, and how you found it as well. That's a really important thing. Um, there, like I was saying, there are apps now. So the one app that I've been working really hard with to make swimming fun and safe is called Wild. So if you search Wild Open Water in any of the app stores that you have, and essentially it's a, it's a wild swimming app. So finding loads of locations around the country. If your spot isn't there, you can add your swimming spot to it and it automatically generates a 10 day forecast. So being knowledgeable is gonna be really helpful to check the forecast. Obviously we're here really, I think to talk about rivers, but that's so important to check, not just the day forecast, but the days in the lead up to the forecast as well, because that will change the flow of the river. So really having an idea of that kind of stuff. Um, and then what we've been working on with them is, is something called safe outdoor swimming, because we know that open water can be, um, can be dangerous. Let's not be about the bush. It can be a dangerous sport, but it can be done very safely. You just need to know a bit about it. So the three kind of main parts we take people through are the environment. So becoming knowledgeable about the environment and the weather and all the conditions that might impact that. Yourself is hugely important. It's so often, you know, forgotten that someone's booked a swim in and I've got to go and do that swim. But actually, we have to take a check in with ourselves. You know, have I eaten? Have I slept? Am I particularly stressed? And if, you know, if it's a yes, you're stressed, you haven't eaten and you haven't had anything to drink for a while, then you probably need to reconsider the goal of your swim and maybe just quickly dip in and dip out still get the feeling of being in nature and then finally about that body of water specifically so about the actual place that you're going into whether it's a river at the sea or it's a lake so there are resources out there you know if you're looking for safety advice for beaches with lifeguarded beaches head to the rlni's website they have you know for all the lifeguarded beaches around the country um when they're there from until the facilities they have there so there's tons of information out there if you want to get into it definitely do the research first yeah, I think that's a really good point. Research is so important when you start outdoor swimming. And I'm just going to do a cheeky plug here. Um, obviously, at the Rivers Trust, we are mainly concerned about rivers. And as we've seen in the news recently, there has been a lot of talk about sewage pollution in rivers. Um, so at the Rivers Trust, we've developed a map which shows you the locations where sewage is entering rivers. And so we advise that you don't swim downstream of those points, particularly after heavy rainfall. And just before we go on to Jake's next question, I just wondered when when you Google about starting outdoor swimming before you've even gotten into the water, you've been flogged about 50 different pieces of equipment to the tune of about a thousand pounds. And so as somebody who is a total beginner to this, is there anything in terms of kit that new outdoor swimmers should look to get? I mean, it's up to you, but you probably need a swimsuit although there are places that oh, that's not really that much of an issue um i think the kit really is it it shouldn't be something that stops you from going i think be very conscious use your brain as simon was saying earlier about the time of year if you're going to go swimming in the winter it's going to be cold if you don't have enough clothes and enough layers for when you get out you're really going to struggle so if you were looking to swim through the winter you might invest in you know, some gloves and some boots. Uh, if you want to stay in skins, those two things are fairly inexpensive and they can make a really big difference for you. So getting in, getting out in the cold. 
Um, you can obviously go as far as a wetsuit as well if you want to, but um, I think with more and more people swimming in what we call skins, I guess that might have sounded like they are naked, it's a swimsuit essentially is what skins is called in the world of swimming. Um, you know, you can just go in that, a, a swimming hat, definitely if you're going to go swimming in the open water, a swimming hat or a very brightly coloured, well brightly coloured swimming hat or brightly coloured bobble hat, either one. Um, goggles, if you're going to put your face in, that would be really handy, especially in some of the open water locations. And then again, it's just the kit for afterwards. Tote float as well, so another really important part of that, especially in rivers, again, with all the river traffic, making sure you have a brightly colored tote float. I mean, they'll all be brightly colored anyway, but brightly colored tote float. And that really is like the minimum kit I think you need is a swimsuit, brightly colored hat and a tote float, and then stuff to get rest, to get dressed um, when you get out. Okay, I, I'd, I'd be with Douglas Adams and add a towel to the list. <laughs> quite uh, handy for <laughs> for getting changed under and um, uh, the other thing I quite like to have especially in the winter is a flask with a hot drink it's it's not an expensive investment but it's a nice treat to have afterwards um, and the other thing I think is is really useful is um, either flip-flops if you're going to walking over stony ground to get to the um, wherever you're swimming or um, if you're getting into somewhere where you're not sure what's underfoot, then some kind of river shoes can be good to protect your feet. And again, they, they don't cost very much. And, and that, you know, if they can save you a nasty foot injury, I think they're worth having. Great. Yes. Yeah, so, so I, I mean, sounds like there is, there's quite a lot of kit you can get, but also it's not all absolutely necessary. So it's just about the level of comfort that you feel when you're going swimming. Um, and speaking of preparing for swimming, um, how do you guys advise that people prepare for longer swims? I know we talked about kind of the shock sometimes of, of, a, of a cold water dip. Sometimes you only need a couple of seconds in there. Um, but if, in terms of training for longer swims, what would you advise to, to people? We're doing this podcast partly uh, for the Henley Swim Festival, which is on the 10th of July. So people preparing for that, what would you advise? Um, yeah, well, so I suppose it depends how long the swim is that you're doing compared with what you regularly swim so if you're swimming a distance that you regularly cover in training and uh, i don't think you particularly need any special preparation but if you're going to do something that's much longer than you're prepared for that than you've than you've done previously then i think you'd need to look at your training and make your training appropriate to the, the distance you're planning to swim uh, key things for me i think as you as you swim longer you have to start worrying more uh, the Henley swim is a mile so that it's not in terms of the swims you could do it's not that it's not really a huge swim uh it's it's a mile I think and it's down river as well so even if you are swimming breaststroke and taking your time and looking at the scenery you're still gonna you're still gonna get to the end because the current's gonna bring you down um so I think it you know for a swim like the the Henley mile for for most people that's probably within the bounds of where they're normally regularly swimming in terms of their training and regular swim. So I don't think you need to do any particular extra training for that if you're already regularly swimming. Uh, but one thing to think about, if you're normally swimming in a pool and you're swimming outdoors very seldom, or this might be the first time you're swimming, and um, even though it's quite a short swim, if it's a cold day and the water's quite cold and you're not wearing a wetsuit and you're not, you're not used to to those sort of temperatures you, you just it, it's getting to, you know if you're a, taking 45 minutes to an hour you could start getting cold in that time and um, and the longer the swim you, the more you need to start thinking about those the potential risk of of 
hypothermia, especially if you're not wearing a wetsuit. Um, and something you don't, you don't need to worry about at Henley Swim Ardix, it's, it's only a mile, but if you're doing, say, a, a 10K swim, which Carrie Ann has done thousands of, then you might not need to start thinking about if you, if you need any nutrition during the swim. Um, and because it's as well as getting too cold, you could get hypoglycemic, for example, if you if you burn through all your energy reserves. Um, and I'm sure that's something that that Carrie-Anne's looked at a lot in the, the optimal timing for nutrition during those longer swims. Uh, but for, for the Henley swim for a mile, I don't think I, I would imagine anybody doing that would be able to get down without having any any worries about that. Yeah, I'm a big, for me, I'm a big believer in practicing what you're going to do. Um, and that doesn't mean practicing a 10K to go and do a 10K, but if that will make you feel more confident, then then that's great. And if you can only do that 10K in the pool, it's at least knowing you can do the distance, but you also then need to practice ultimately what it is that you're going to be doing. So practice using the kit you're going to use. So definitely get into the open water, into the wetsuit, because it will change your body position. It will make it feel very different. So practicing that, practicing the goggles you're gonna wear, um, practicing, you know, sighting, if that's a skill that you've not learned how to do yet, practice that in the pool as well, but also practice it in the open water. Um, and then if you are taking on longer, longer swims, practicing what your nutrition strategy might be in the pool as well, or in your training. So if that's, you know, it ranges from, uh, from everything really from, drinks just having some carbohydrate gels to jelly babies to uh, bananas to whatever you know your body can stomach but you need to know what it can stomach and obviously how you can carry that stuff so the toe floats these days there's some amazing ones like they look a bit like donuts and you can stick stuff in them so even if you're doing longer training swims in the open water you still have the opportunity to practice your nutrition so whatever that looks like for you um then it's definitely worth practicing as close to what your ultimate goal, challenge, event, race, whatever it is you want to call it, and practicing as close to that as you possibly can. So again, if you're, if you can only really swim in, in a swimming pool, and maybe there's a river close to you, but actually the swim you're doing is in the sea, it's worth getting to the sea a couple of times, because again, the difference in the water, salty, not salty, buoyant, slightly less buoyant. Um, so just keep in mind, practicing what you're ultimately aiming to do is going to be really helpful for you. Yeah, the other thing I'd just quickly add, uh, the, the longer the swim, I think the more planning you need to do beforehand uh, to make sure you've got, I mean, if, I think for any swim, any any event you're going to, it's always useful to make a list before you go to make sure, you know, just write even the basic things. I try and write them down, goggles, swimming costume, swimming hat, because it's so easy to, if you leave it to the last minute, to grab your towel and think you've got everything and then get to the event and find you've got some essential bits missing. <laughs> Uh, so even for a short event, I'd make a list, but the, the longer the event, I think the more planning and the further in advance you need to do that planning to make sure you've got everything you need. Yeah. Absolutely. And just a, a follow up that's not really on the list, but um, we mentioned about sort of cold water swimming. I know, Simon, your book is about swimming 365 days a year. Um, maybe just kind of a bit of a fun one, but what is the coldest temperature that you guys have ever swum in? I think the coldest I swam was New Year's Day 2021, I think it must have been. And it must have been, it was in the river where Simon lives pretty much. And the outside temperature I'm sure was zero. So the water must have been 
three, maybe four, if it kind of got that. I think it does get that cold around about that time of the year. So it must have been about three, which was the coldest yeah. I've ever swam. I was in for about 35 seconds, not I, even. I think my coldest was also on the same day in, in the same <laughs> spot. Um, I think we measured it at two and a half, actually. But oh, two and a half. We, we had it depends whose thermometer you wanted to believe but mine said two and a half someone else has said three and a half so it depends how much boasting you want it's a great story <laughs> so well, um i did yeah, i did the temps, the, the, this year the temps didn't quite get so cold it was down to about uh, four or five degrees but yeah the year before it it was down to about two and a half three degrees because mm -hmm. i i did i did a new year's day one this year and it was about eight degrees. And again, I was also in there for about 30 seconds. And so, I mean, you know, we're, we're operating at different levels of uh, hardcore swimmers here, but um, yeah, I would, I just think everyone, I think everyone should try doing a, a cold water dip because it is incredibly, you know, exhilarating. And I mean, actually, Simon, you were going to talk about the kind of the mental health benefits of, um, of swimming and, and kind of those cold dips. Maybe this is a good time. Um, well, I think, uh, I mean, that was one of the, uh, one of the things we, we kind of talked about before we started recording, um, one of the, about the changes that we've seen in the type of people or, or the motivations for people to, to take up outdoor swimming. Uh, and one of the, the biggest changes we've seen is the, the number of people who say they are trying outdoor swimming because of their mental health. And that, that's both people who have a mental health condition that they 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 want to experiment with with outdoor swimming to see if it helps their condition. But it's also people who who don't have a spe specified condition, but just want to experience being in nature, being in water, just because it helps their general well-being and their and their mental health in general terms. Um, so. Uh, there's a there's a lot of anecdotal evidence from you know, all the stories you hear. So many stories that people will tell you about how um, either people just saying it just sets me up for the day. I, I I go for a swim in the morning and I feel good all day. I feel calmer. I feel more relaxed. It's it's a reset. Um, to stories um, where people say they've they've been able to reduce or or even um, give up their medication for a mental health condition. Um, and obviously I wouldn't say to anybody that you can jump into the river and stop taking your medication because that would be a really bad thing to do and anything to do with medication you need to work with a you know with someone who's qualified to to deal with your medication and 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 help you with with whatever condition you've got um, but there are definitely stories of, of people saying how much swimming outdoors and particularly the cold water swimming which seems to give you more of a an adrenaline rush i guess and more of um uh, more of a buzz uh so particularly the winter swimming that seems to that people have been turning to 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 help with their mental health yeah there's actually a lot more science out there at the moment as well so science can show us what happens to our bodies and there's actually a brilliant podcast if i'm allowed to plug another podcast on this one it's really good if you're interested in this and you're interested in the science there's a guy called um i can't remember i think his name's andrew huberman but it's called the huberman lab um and he basically looks into loads of different studies that have been done in and around cold 
therapy or cold water kind of immersion and some of them are really small studies and he, he says that and some are really big and kind of brings them all together and shows you the information around it and the, the, the podcast is on deliberate cold exposure um, and the science in that is amazing and it's kind of starting to help us understand how the brain works and what the cold does and essentially when we immerse ourselves into when we choose to immerse ourselves into cold water knowing it's going to be cold knowing it's going to burn knowing that there's going to be something to it but we continue to do it anyway and through that process of discomfort which is getting in and i always say there's like two different camps you're either a screamer or you're a swearer either one of the two so you decide which one you are i'm a screamer um in, he in my head i'm a swearer but I, you know, i'm screaming outwardly um you know you're either one of those two things even to us putting ourselves through that stress which is a good stress in a way, because we're we know we'll be safe, we know that we can do it. And then regulating our breathing. So actually helping our body regulate itself through breathing, because you know, when you get this and then eventually we take in deeper breaths, um, which is really important to take in deep breaths in, deep breaths out. Um, longer out breaths will help you recover through that process quicker. Um, and basically through that process, what happens is we deliberately put ourselves into a stressful situation that we help ourselves out of and that essentially is what's helping people become more resilient through deliberate cold exposure so not you know unfortunately we do have a lot of drownings around the UK and I think it's accidental a lot of them are accidental um, you know someone didn't mean to fall into the water and they have cold shock which is this thing I was talking about and they don't know how to deal with the panic of that but if we can deal with the panic through breathing and like floating rather than fighting the water until after about 30 seconds to two minutes our brains are back into thinking oh I can handle this this is okay it's cold it's uncomfortable but I can deal with it and moving on from there so that's one part of why people are finding that they're actually way more resilient because they're choosing to put themselves into a stressful situation and knowing the benefits. And then internally, the hormones that are being released are the kind of the mood stabilizing hormone, which is dopamine, which we really want. And sometimes the dopamine high can last a really long time, but without any of the side effects of, you know, if we think about the reason why other people get dopamine or where they get dopamine from, you know, from phones or from gratification or from drugs or from alcohol, without any of those side effects of needing them more and more, it's a much um, more holistic high, if you want to call it that. So actually, that a combination of all those things and a combination of community, it's a huge part of that as well. So not only is the body getting a full you know, rush through and the, the body's going, ah, oh, what are you doing? It's freezing, get me out of here. We're going, no, we're gonna stay in, we can do this, we can work on our breathing, really calm us down and the body goes, hmm, I did that, check me out. And that's the part that's really helping people. And then add on to that, you know, the community, the coffee at the end, the cake, the conversations. So it's a really, it's, it's a huge, um, you know, there's, there's lots of science behind it as well as then, you know what the aspect of community has and i'm sure again internally there's a science that our bodies are going through something in that sort of scenario um as well not feeling lonely maybe that's a fear someone has and there's a community so there's loads of amazing benefits um that we find through cold you've actually led us really nicely into our next question there carrie ann so obviously one of the elements that makes outdoor swimming so popular is that feeling of community um, but it can feel a bit tricky to break into when you're just getting started so do you have any advice for finding outdoor swimming groups 
Yeah, there are tons out there and they're all really friendly. Um, it's just a case of going down. You don't even need to go into the water your first swim. So there's groups like the Blue Tits. Um, there's an amazing group up in the Lake District called Blue Mind Men who are, you know, not just for men, but definitely encouraging men to get into the open water uh, for me their mental wellness as well. Um, there's a group down in Plymouth called the Three Boys, similar sort of scenario, but the Blue Tits are probably one of the biggest groups um, out there and there's lots of different clubs or you know little pockets of them around the whole country but again the app I was talking about earlier the wild swimming app there's also a chat function on there in local areas it's still all quite new and there might be a couple of like hellos in no one else saying anything because there might be the first person in that in that swim location but there is a little chat function there to find out you know how's the water anyone going swimming today uh, that kind of stuff or just you know convince a friend to come and join you. That's a really good place to start. So there's two people, you feel a little bit more comfortable. And then if you see a, another person, then you could join them. And then that's kind of, that's how the group started in the first place um, is, is through that that process. But Simon, I don't know if you've got anything else to add to that. Yeah, I, I, I saw um, something that's, that's sort of relevant. I was, sometimes I take a coffee and sit by the river. I'm not planning on going swimming. I just, I was just sitting there chatting to a friend actually. And, and someone came up and said, are you the swimmers? And I said, well, I'm a swimmer, but I'm not planning on swimming right now. And so, okay, that's right. I, it's my first time and I'm meeting some other people here. And and she had just found a group on Facebook. She'd searched for swimming groups near me or whatever. I, I, I don't know exactly what she'd searched for. And she'd arranged to meet them at this particular spot. And so I, and and then the, the other people came and they they were all very friendly and they all helped her. And and she got in, she, she had a, a really nice swim. And so I think uh, uh, you can either just walk around where you think people might swim and see if you bump into anybody and just start talking to them if you're, if you don't mind doing that, or you can uh, approach people through, uh, through the groups on social media. It's, uh, I, I, I think there's, you know, sometimes if I go to a different part of the country, I'll go on Facebook first and see if there's a group. So I'm going to be in such and such a place. Uh, anybody swimming and i've met swimmers around the country like that and that you know it's it's really good because uh it's okay the best time to swim is this time and they'll be we'll be here and look out for someone or other and uh, they make sure you're looked after and it's really nice i think it's it's very clear from from your descriptions of it that it kind of gets you out of your shell in, in terms of the mental health benefits. You sort of, you're building that community yourselves and um, just making sure that, you know, you're, yeah, you're outgoing and, and you're, and you're kind of building that community yourself is, is in and of itself, you know, a beneficial thing um, before you even got in the water. So I think, yeah, that's something that people don't always talk about about outdoor swimming is the community aspect. There, there's one other thing I, I, I'd add on that. And um, there are, as, as well as wild swimming spots, there are a lot of commercial venues around the country. Um, and obviously you have to pay to swim there, but the advantage is the water quality is checked and they've got lifeguards and there's proper safety provision. There'll be lifeguards on the water. Uh, but the other thing about those is they often have very strong communities around them. And um, so, you know, if, if that, I, they're, they're, if, if you've got a, a local commercial venue near you, that might be a really good place to start swimming because one, they keep you safe. Sometimes they run introduction courses to sort of help you get started. Uh, and two, there's there's often a, 
a community around there, or sometimes several communities. You know, you'll have people that swim there, you know, once a week, and then they'll go off and swim somewhere else on another day in the week. And as soon as you get to know them, you'll be invited to all their swims. Yeah, I'd also just want like to add a tiny bit onto that as well is that what I'm finding in my current day job, so I um, I qualify people to become open water coaches and there's been a huge number, which is actually something Simon was saying earlier, a huge number of people that I'm qualifying, almost a full course of 12 people I qualified last weekend, who um, I'd say 10 of them are swimming because of the mental health benefits they've found and their mental wellness through lockdowns, through, you know, through some serious life problems and issues that they've had. And they've loved it so much. They found it so beneficial that they now want to pass that on as well. So there are so many coaches I'm qualifying now who aren't just about triathlons and races and taking on these things. Yes, they'll encourage people to get in safely, know how to do it really well, to take on events like the Henley Swim because it's a friendly event. It's a nice, gentle, it's not competitive, that those sorts of scenarios. Um, but don't, don't, don't shy away from looking for a coach actually as well. It's a really important thing. If you're looking to get into the community, but you're a bit nervous, go and find a coach that can help you do an introduction, keep it nice and safe. They might be part of a managed venue and they probably will have a community themselves that they can maybe put you in touch with as well. So there are many opportunities to do it safely and to find a community um, in your local area. Fantastic. Yeah. And you, you talked about, um, challenging yourself and the Henley Mile obviously is one of the great uh the great beginner challenges that you can get involved in um and we this podcast is, is obviously partly for um for people taking part in that so we were wondering if you guys had any advice on fundraising for for swims obviously that's a lot of people get involved to do that to do something good for charity um so what are some of your your top tips for for fundraising for for long swims I think fundraising for a long swim is a great motivator for you for training. So if you're thinking, I want to take on that swim, but I'm a bit lazy and I'm not sure if I can be bothered to do it. I would say find a charity that means something close to your heart and, and raise money for that charity. I think it can always seem a little bit awkward sometimes asking people for money, but things like bake sales, um, you know, that kind of stuff is really easy to do. And people love, it's much easier to say, buy the cake that I've made for this charity that I'm doing than to just say, can you sponsor me here? Or can you do this? Or tombolas or, you know, like a, how many you guys love to do the, how many hats or how many goggles or how many jars are in the, like marbles are in the jar or something like that. You know, just give someone, get, figure out ways that you can get people involved in what you're trying to do. So, you know, try and get people thinking about stuff. I think education is another really important thing, sharing a little bit about why, why it means something to you, being open and honest about that. So, you know, someone like the Rivers Trust, we really want to make sure that our rivers are as clean as they possibly can be. And that's not gonna happen without people like yourselves tirelessly kind of campaigning to make sure that our waterways are really, really clean. And to campaign, you guys need to be able to do that and to have the fun to be able to do that. So, you know, helping people understand beach cleans, those those sorts of things, you know, can be really amazing ways of getting people involved in what you're doing. And then from there, um, them sort of feeling a bit more invested in it emotionally. And, and then as well as hopefully physically with physical cash at some point during that process would be my kind of top tips there. Yeah, I, I couldn't really add much to that. I mean, when I've seen people fundraising, I, I like Carrie Ann says that the most successful people are the ones that say, 
they're not the ones that say I'm doing this swim, give me some money. They're the ones that say I'm raising some money for, for this swim uh, because, and they've got a good story. And then they'll attach something else to it as well, like the cake sale or, or the raffle. I mean, people, okay, I don't want to give away hundreds of subscriptions, but people sometimes come to us and say, I'm doing a raffle for this charity swim I'm doing. Could you, could you give us a magazine as a prize? And they'll go around and they'll ask, um, they'll ask us, they'll ask their local supermarket or their, their local, I don't know, store uh, to provide a prize. So they get some prizes. And if you ask enough people, you'll get, you'll get a few prizes for a raffle and you won't have to pay anything for them. Um, and, and so all those, those, ex, those extra things that get people that will get people engaged if you're if you're trying to raise money for charity absolutely and uh, we're going to finish off with a question that we ask everyone who comes on the rambling about rivers podcast uh it's just a simple one what is your favorite river and if you have a nice memory of being in that river uh, definitely share that as well um, I'll start. Uh, sorry, Simon, it's not your river. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is fun to do the swoosh because it's so fast, um, which then, no, up in Aberdeen, um, I have some friends up there and I've swum in the River Dee a few times. And that is, again, very fast flowing at times of the year, depending on what's that. And you, I can literally turn, swim against it and I don't go anywhere. So the river is very powerful, but it is a really beautiful, really lovely, um, kind of quite peaty uh, so it's a little bit red place to go swimming. It's really beautiful um, and freezing, very, very freezing, but really beautiful place to go swim. Am I allowed two? <laughs> because, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I, Karen was joking. She said, my river. Uh, but <laughs> but I live right next to the Thames and uh, and sometimes jokingly, I call it my river because it's it's a two minute walk for me to get to get to it. And I, I swim in it all year round and I see it in all its different moods and conditions. And, and for a river that's just come through Kingston and is just about to go into London, it's surprisingly scenic. Um, you, you wouldn't think you're just uh, a few miles from central London sometimes when you're swimming there. Um, and it's really changeable as well. We've had times when it's really fast flowing and you can't swim against the current and other times when it's really calm and, tr and tranquil. Um, and I think it's such an iconic river as well that, you know, it's known all around the world. So and it has such a historic and long historic association with London and, and the country. So it's just a, it's just an amazing place to, to be associated with and swim. The other place for me is the river Wye because I grew up in Cheltenham and I used to go kayaking a lot. And most of my swims in the Wye were involuntary uh, when I was tipped out of my kayak. <laughs> um, but I just remember it as, uh, you know those school trips, uh, and you know we we paddled on the upper way up at up at Bilth Wells, and and it's and further down at Simmons Yacht and Hay on Wye, um, and I and I always remember it as being a very beautiful river, and and some of the stuff I read now, and there, there was the film about the, the documentary about the Wye, about all the damage that's been done to it from all the the chicken farming and the runoff that's going into the Wye. I just find that so sad that this amazing, beautiful river, and it's also very geographically significant river because it separates Wales from from England so um and you know family named Griffiths I, my historical roots go back to Wales although it's a long time since I've, we've been living there but uh, so it's just a very special river as well in my in, in my memories and it's uh, 
I just wish there was more we could do to protect it as well, because it, it seems to be in a quite a sorry state at the moment. Absolutely. Uh, it's important to say that yeah, we've got the, the Why and Ask Foundation who are doing uh, excellent work around the why and, and trying to protect it. You've both mentioned something that I think our listeners will be interested in, different for both of you. Um, so for you, Kerry ann that's your open water coaching courses. I just wondered if you could tell us how people can find out more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested in helping people dip into the open water or take on triathlons and some that kind of stuff and um, if you head to uh, straight line swimming so hopefully you remember that swimming and straight line straightlineswimming.com and you'll be able to find we have some online courses um or predominantly online and then some in-person courses as well we also have a coach finder on there so if you're interested in looking for a coach head to the same website and just click on the coach finder tab and that's where you'll be able to find um a coach hopefully a local coach in your area that's great thank you and simon obviously you've recently published your book i wondered if you could just tell us a bit more about that uh yeah i guess it was my my lockdown project in a way um and i tried to to put uh everything well almost everything there's always stuff that has to be left out of these these things but everything i i know about outdoor swimming into a book uh so it's a it's a guidebook for for anyone who wants to get into uh, outdoor swimming, and it's and and some of the later chapters are also uh, for people who want to who maybe already started and want to take their their swimming journey a bit further. So uh, there's a there's a uh, chapter. Well, there's obviously a safety chapter because that's really important, as we talked about right at the beginning. So uh, all about being informed, um, understanding what happens to your body when you get into the water, the cold water shock that that Kerry Ann mentioned and how to deal with that and how to get used to swimming in colder conditions. Uh, there's a chapter on swimming all the way through the through the year. There's chapters on different places to swim, whether it's because everywhere you swim offers a different challenge. So swimming in the sea, lakes and rivers. Uh, there's a chapter on where swimming might take you. And Kerry Ann's obviously been talking about coaching. Uh, you know, some people find when they become open water swimming, it, it creates a, a vocation for them, either as sometimes voluntary, sometimes as a as a paid thing, sometimes part-time, sometimes as a full-time thing. It, it's not just coaching, there's there's lifeguarding, there's swim tour guides, uh, there's mentors, there's there's volunteers at events. There's so many things where people uh, do things that are associated with swimming that 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 almost give back to the community, but are very worthwhile and enjoyable things to do. Um, and then for, for people who are looking to, to race, there's a section on how to think about building your own training sessions and, and building your own training plan as well. So it's, uh, you know, whether you want to dip or whether you want to race, or whether you're looking to launch a career in outdoor swimming in some way, there's there's something for all of those things in there. That's great. Um, thank you both so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Um, I'm feeling like I want to just walk out the front door and go and jump in a river, but I now know that I need to be prepared before I do that. So <laughs> it's been a really worthwhile conversation. Thank you again. Thanks for having us. Thank you.